0: Welcome to Filmstrip and our American Ninja series.
1: Ninja? What the hell are ninja? Featuring Rod. Hey! We don't stop, one of us goes down.
0: Now! Let's go! And Jay. Who is he? I don't know, he's a new recruit, I don't even know his name. He possessed great skills.
1: These podcasts will be spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and details of the films. Where this gets at, I'll have you shot. You understand?
0: Welcome to Film Strip. I'm Jay, and I'm Ron. This is our review of American Ninja 3: Blood Hunt, starring Steve James, Marjo Gortner and David Bradley as the American Ninja. Directed by Cedric Sunstorm, released in 1989 on an unknown budget. I looked everywhere, could not find out how much they spent on this, but I do know it grossed $1.5 in its combined box office a run, and a very short run it had. So, first question right out of the gate. Where's Michael Dudikoff?
1: Well, I went digging on this today, and I found an article from 1992 talking about the nascent film industry in South Africa. And one of the movies they specifically mentioned was American Ninja, the American Ninja series, since it's still the most popular film filmed in South Africa, not named District 9. <laughs> but basically, in that article, it says that Michael Dudikoff got so much flack for starring in an American Ninja 2 and going across the apartheid ban to South Africa that he refused to go back to film in that country for American Ninja 3. Hence, they went out and got David Bradley.
0: Oh, okay. And I, didn't they get? They tried to get the guy from No Retreat, No Surrender, right? And he said no. That's what I read.
1: So. Yes, he, he's another guy who said no, presumably for the same uh, apartheid-based reason. Um.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I wonder if it had, didn't have something to do with the lack of zeros at the end of the check.
1: Uh, I'm uh, sure that had something to do with it, too, but yeah, yeah. I, c- I can only imagine, like, Danny Glover cornering poor Michael <laughs> Dudikoff at a party <laughs> and just reading in the riot act.
0: Wait a minute. Well, first off, the fact that Michael Dudikoff and <laughs> Danny Glover would be at the same Hollywood parties the first thing. <laughs> So I, I don't know if the star of the Lethal Weapon series at the time and the color purple, among many other things, would be hanging with the uh, golden Globus schlock crowd. Though he did do Predator too, so maybe so. But um,
1: I just figured it had something to do with apartheid. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, certainly a good guess. So very, very interesting, though. Didn't realize that. Well, I, I didn't even know this was shot in South Africa because it's not... It's not in the, the credits anywhere. I guess they didn't want the heat from it either. So
1: yeah, there's a, um, there's a good reason for that.
0: Yeah. yeah, no, no reason to call attention to that fact. So well, you know what I was—I was sitting here thinking though. Can you think of another series, action or not, that replaced the lead star, like went on to a different one in you know one of the further sequels? I can think of one, and it's Fast and Furious. They went away from Vin Diesel and Paul Walker and got Lucas Black in that third one for Tokyo Drift. And you know, rumor is he's going to make an appearance somewhere in seven. But uh, you know they, that series is, is you know huge and, and everything. But the third one is the one that everybody's like oh that's the terrible one and, and and oddly enough because it doesn't have Vin Diesel and Paul Walker in it who knew that that was key to your success but apparently so but can you think of another series where the it continued on but the, the main star did not?
1: Yeah I think it was um, Kickboxer they mm-hmm. made a bunch of Kickboxer movies with uh, your friend and mine Sasha Mitchell <laughs> I, uh, that, that's one of the ones for sure um, yeah
0: I guess the next Karate Kid when they stuck Hillary Swank in there, I yeah. guess I guess that if you want to count that, that's another one. There's all these martial arts films. They just replace the uh, the somewhat central karate figure, which is interesting. Though they don't replace Steve James, and we'll certainly talk about his involvement in this film uh, in some way. But I guess before we get any further, I I really was wondering, you know, what are we going to you know, what are we going to do? Because I said last time. Action films like this, if you're going to have like a team of guys, this is the easiest thing to spawn off. Because all you got to do is just stick them in a different adventure every time. And more or less, that can work or not, depending on how well the adventure's set up. But I figured that's just what it was going to be. I, I really didn't know Dudikoff wasn't in this until I turned it on. And I was like, well, where's, where's Michael Dudikoff? And then I get this David Bradley
1: guy. Hopefully, Michael Dudikoff's waiting for his script for Expendables 3. Because I've been looking forward to that for years.
0: Yeah, I, Really, I'm like, why is he not in that, by the way? So, <laughs>
1: He's been, uh, bef- between uh, Expendables and Expendables 2, I wrote a list of people of Den of Geek that I thought should be in Expendables 2. And I brought out names like Michael Dudikoff, Sacha Mitchell, and Cynthia Rothrock, and all those great 80s karate guy, karate girl, early 90s people yes. that are just waiting to make a comeback.
0: But. That, and if you can't get William Zabka in there somewhere.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. he was—he was definitely on the list.
0: Yeah, so I'm with you, but I guess we need to get into American Ninja Three here. So Ron, tell us what in the heck is the Blood Hunt?
1: Um, oh, before we do that, I've actually got another movie. I just thought of it. Um, the Substitute. Um, oh, they switched Tom Berenger out for treat, treat Williams?
0: Yes, for Treat Williams. Treat Williams, the poor man's Tom Berenger.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I would say he's—I would say he's almost the homeless man's Tom Berenger. He's that. <laughs> Uh, anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah, he goes he goes pretty well down the list to get to a little treat. So though I think I there was a movie called Deep Rising that he was in once that I actually did kind of like. It's sort of a cheesy uh you know, guilty pleasure kind of thing. I think Pam Kajensen's in that too, slumming it, but uh anyway.
1: And, <laughs> and I liked him in um he was in dead heat with Joe Piscopo, the zombie cop movie.
0: That's right. Oh wow, how can you forget that? I has been a long time since I've seen that one. So I got it. Sure-
1: do- I got it in one of those like Anchor based six packs, and yeah. it, it was a. I, I bought it for that movie alone because it's like one of those things you kind of remember, but uh, you know, it's I, there on the periphery. I
0: bet that six pack came with at least two Children of the Corn films and probably a later Halloween film, so somewhere <laughs> in that pack. So I've seen that pack. So, well, I want you go ahead and tell us what the Blood Hunt is all about here, Ron, in part three.
1: All right. Well, do you remember the Super Ninja plot from American Ninja 2? Yeah, do
0: I remember that? I wish I could forget it.
1: <laughs> well, it's back and it's worse than ever. Sean yeah. uh, Davidson, a.k.a. Mr. David Bradley, a.k.a. the poor man's Michael Dudikoff, is the son of a martial artist who is killed in our cold opening. A year of training and a montage later, and he's landing in a small island nation, once again played by South Africa, for a karate tournament. Meanwhile, in the same country, the Cobra, a.k.a. former uh, televangelist and traveling preacher Marjo Gortner, is unveiling a project to create what I think is supposed to be the perfect weapon to a grab bag of random terrorists, including the evil General Andreas, who killed, who is the guy who gunned down Sean's dad in the cold opening. But in order to test his mystery virus, he needs to find the ultimate warrior, but not the ultimate ultimate warrior, (laughs) who would have been a great lead for this
0: movie. Jim Holwig would have killed in this,
1: yes. (laughs) Probably quite literally, just (laughs) dismantling poor stuntmen in a coked up steroid frenzy. (laughs) But he needs to find the ultimate warrior to test it on, hence the karate tournament, and hence the invitation to Mr. Sean Davidson. But among the other competitors in the karate contest is none other than Curtis Jackson, and Steve James himself, who knows a thing or two about fighting ninjas. <laughs> along with along with the help of their wormy sidekick decks, it's time to fight through hordes of ninjas and defeat the evil forces of Cobra. But not that Cobra, <laughs> the Cobra.
0: Wow. You know, you've hit on what is going to be an overriding theme of my review of this film is how many things it can borrow from, but (laughs) not that one. (laughs) You know, it's like, come see the Ramones tribute band in small letters. You know, (laughs) this feels like a good action movie. Almost is is what the title should have been. Um,
1: Yeah, it's like an etch. It's like a. An action movie loaf, like that uh, <laughs> pimento loaf at the grocery store that nobody buys yeah. in the deli section. It's like that, but with action movie cliches.
0: Yes, it's like they threw them together in time to, you know, come up with this and. Uh Wow, I really. I, yeah, I, I had no idea, again, what I was getting into watching this, and I had never seen any of this one before. Though I knew I'd seen Marjo Gortner somewhere, and I'm glad you called him out as a former televangelist. So I was like, I knew that guy's hair was from something famous, but uh, I, I didn't know from where.
1: Yeah, his, his claim to fame was he was the youngest ordained minister. He was like five years old, traveling around the country. He later did like a pretty good documentary like debunking his act. Yeah, as a televangelist. And then he became a character actor for some reason and was on like Falcon Crest or Knott's Landing and Little Love Boat and all that crap that people did in the 70s.
0: Yeah, you know, man, that that is so funny because that several of his scenes when they've got him standing up pontificating in the the lab. Which really just looks like the, you know, some black curtains and a, a couch set in a <laughs> room somewhere. It, he, it looks like something shot on Knott's Landing, you know, or one of those shows. This film has about the same production quality of your standard episode of, you know, the A Team right before Dallas. It's, <laughs> uh, it, it's bad. And it opens in this this 1979. The cold open, the hit at the tournament. Okay, so I'm, I'm watching this, and I'm going, this looks like they borrowed the set from the All-Valley tournament at the end of The Karate Kid, right? Right. And, and everybody's sitting around backstage, and the Cobra, who, I don't think we know him as the Cobra at the time, but the Cobra and Andreas, he's not General Andreas at the time, right?
1: Yeah, he's just Andreas.
0: Yeah, they're, they're in a car, and they're you know, they're loading up guns and all this, and I'm, I feel like I'm watching a scene out of... I don't know, Scarface or something. <laughs> like, I don't know what's happening here. There are these two kids in the crowd, and please tell me you found out if this is true or not. Are they overdubbed with, like, their male counterpart actors? Is that supposed to be Joe and uh, later, you know, Sean there as, as children together?
1: I, I honestly could not figure that part out. I can only assume that's who it's supposed to be because they got kind of got look alike a look alike fake Joe. Yeah. But I don't think they went and dubbed him. It sounded like the actual kid. Okay. Or, well, the or ki- they dubbed him with other kids who speak English and not uh, Michael Dudikoff. Yeah.
0: yeah. I'll, I'll say this too though, the kid that's supposed to be Sean that sounds like David Bradley doing a high pitched voice. It does not sound like that voice is coming out of that kid.
1: That's that's a reasonable <laughs> guess. I mean, that seems yeah. in line with what we know about Golan and Clovis.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, they would want to do that. I mean, I you know, I've I recently reviewed the Star Wars films, and we didn't really talk about it on there. But there's a big controversy in the the old trilogy that you know Boba Fett got overdubbed with. Uh, uh, Tamura Morrison, you know, who's the new Boba Fett or Django Fett, rather, in the uh, prequel trilogy. People were bad about that, or whatever. And I actually thought about that when I was watching this. I was like, everybody's been doing that for years. It just it did not sound like that was a kid speaking. But a- at any rate, it, we have a flash of an Uzi, and Sean's dad is dead along with his trainer or something, or who's supposed to say... And what, I, what I find amusing about this, and I'm, I'm just going to make light of it because it's silly, okay? It's, it's not I'm not taking life not seriously here, but this is ridiculous, is Sean's dad gets shot in the chest multiple times, and the guy that's been basically massaging out his muscles to get him ready to fight, he goes, hey, help him out. And he kind of looks on him, and he starts sort of like touching him and pushing on him. <laughs> he doesn't really know what he's doing. It's like he's faith-healing him or something. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's, well, you know, maybe it ties back to, maybe you expected Marjo Gordon with that great uh, perm to do something about it. But <laughs> yeah. No such luck.
0: Yeah, no, that was bad. But did, I did not know what was happening at that point. I just realized that if they were setting up the, this is going to be the ultimate revenge plot, then I'm going to be real disappointed in this film if they go that cheap. But, you know, the funny thing is they don't. That's what blows me away, is that they don't. they don't really even follow up on the fact that, Sean figures out that that's the guy who killed his dad. It's just sort of there for the audience.
1: Yeah, and it's and it's like, they set it up and then they, halfway, you know, immediately after they do the uh, ninja training montage, they forget all about the whole revenge angle. And then later on, he just shows up and gets machine gunned for no good reason. And there's not even like the, there's not even a payoff. It's not like, that's for my dad. Yeah. Or, you, you know, anything that you would expect in a movie like this. Um, or just any movie in general, it's just completely dropped.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a total drop out of this. And I can only think that the three people... There's one person credited with the screenplay and then based on characters by the original two. I have a feeling Gary Conway had a lot of other people helping him write the script. It just feels like the kind of script that nine or ten people actually write parts of, including the actors. And and by the end of it, we don't know who wrote what.
1: Yeah, that's... Maybe the director wrote it, like on the on the set. He's like, No, this'll be great. I mean we've got fifty extra dollars, we could shoot one more machine gun sequence and we've got this karate fighting stage set up that we're gonna reuse later for part of our evil training laboratory or whatever. Yeah. So let's just Get some extras in there and shoot a guy.
0: Yeah, they have doors that lead to nowhere that look like they're part of a shopping mall or something. <laughs> and then <clears throat> tons of different colored ninjas. There's red ninjas, there's blue, then there's the standard black, which are kind of like the pawn ninjas, I guess. They don't really do much. You know? <laughs> they just get in the way, and, and Sean chokes them out a lot. But yeah, I, I don't know where the, where the budget was going, but clearly not into the script because – the the whole thing here is to set this up. Now we get to see Sean's development as a ninja. And you're right. It's like a year later, but he ages 12
1: years. It's, <laughs> you know? Yeah, It's a 12-year-long it's year. Long year. Yeah. Apparently it's some sort of ninja magic that ages you into a 35-year-old.
0: Yeah, I and mean, that's the thing is like uh, Michael Dudikoff looked like a young guy in the army. Okay, for for better or worse. <laughs> Sean Davidson is he, is he? I mean, is David Bradley a day under thirty five? That was my question. I mean, he's a good looking dude, like built all that stuff. Yeah, but he does not look young enough to have you know seen this happen in nineteen seventy nine, and then ten years later, this is what he turns into for so like twenty years later.
1: Yeah, clearly he's he's a uh, guy in his 30s, you know, carefully poofing his hair up to hide his receding hairline, that kind of thing.
0: <laughs> now, did you know David Bradley from anything else other than this? I'd never heard of him until this film.
1: Um, I knew him vaguely from, like, other <laughs> movies where he kicked people to death. but <laughs> But he's not exactly, you know he's not exactly the david bradley from uh, harry potter
0: <laughs> yeah it's not that one and and like i said before he's not doug bradley from the hellraiser series because that would have been awesome so if, oh yeah just <laughs> well of all hell- the crossovers how hell, hellraiser versus american ninja never happened in the nine hellraiser sequels i'll i'll never know i guess uh, dimension and going globus never got together
1: but um, apparently Cannon did like him, or uh, Sam Furstenberg, who did the first American Ninja movie, must have seen something he liked, because he did bring David Bradley back for some other flicks that he did, uh, probably also in South Africa. Yeah. Some generic Cyborg Cop and uh, American <laughs> Samurai.
0: Yeah, which I think, isn't that the one that's that got renamed American Ninja 5 by the production company by the end of it or something? So. No, this was
1: a different <laughs> one. Uh, American Ninja Five had uh, Mark DeCascos in it, oh. uh, who is the chairman on Iron Chef America. <laughs>
0: that's just that's almost good enough to throw it in the retrospective, but but we won't. So <laughs> we see Sean develop as a ninja, and I love his ninja master though. Because he looks nothing like the stereotypical ninja master, except from like Nintendo video games of the eighties, right? Like he's, it's like he's wearing fake gray hair around dark hair. He's younger than his, his protege.
1: Yeah, he's clearly younger than David Bradley. So they glue a, a fake goatee on him and dye it gray, and, but they leave his hair like jet black and yes. like kind of an eighties Asian mullet kind of thing. Yeah, one of those ones where it's teased up on top and it's a mullet in the back. Like Van Halen hair.
0: Yeah, there you go. So that's exactly right. So except this would be the Gary Sharon version of the Van Halen. Ugh. We're gonna go with that.
1: So terrifying.
0: Yes. So there's nothing more terrifying than that third album. I will hold that up as one of the worst ideas ever. If anybody wants to debate that with me, just find me on Twitter. We'll we'll talk. <laughs> but, uh, anyway. So We get, though, that he is sent off to the world to be, you know, the ninja or whatever that he's supposed to be. And the tournament is on the island. And I was a little fuzzy on what the tournament was, other than, like, the world's greatest karate champions or something like that are gathering together for some reason. Like, we learn later it's because the cobra was trying to get the best specimen. But... In the first, it's not even really clear what they're fighting for. Is there a trophy? Is there money? Is there women involved? I mean, it's—I uh, don't know. It's kind of uh, vague. Uh,
1: yeah, it's you know, just they're—it's like a Pokemon match. They're just battling to see who wins, except <laughs> you know, with more skull trauma and yeah. <laughs> skeezy dictators.
0: Yes, all, all on the side. But we get our Jackson back. He's, Curtis is now out of the Army. He says, I've left Joe back in the Army, and he's here to fight Steve James back for, I can only imagine it had to be a paycheck. Because like, he, you talking about mailing it in, man. Like, yeah. this is the most
1: phoned-in
0: bad performance I've seen since the last time I saw Mario Van Peebles in a movie.
1: And it's sad because he's the only character with a consistent motivation. If (laughs) you you remember from the first American Ninja movie, all he wanted to do was set up exhibitions with Joe. Yes. And go out and make some money. And here he is. He shows up to this karate tournament, and he's actually there to do a sword – like a sword play exhibition. Yeah. So he'd actually achieved his dream of going and exhibiting his martial arts or whatever – and here he is getting drawn into another ninja controversy. and
0: what? Which he reminds us of many times. Ninjas have to be ninjas again. Ninjas, ninjas, ninjas. I'm like, man, this guy, it's like every other line is about how he hates ninjas. And it's, I don't know, it's like we got it the first three times he said it, guys. It's He doesn't need to keep reminding us of this. But every line is either, hey, sweetheart, you know, or some other degrading pet name for a female co-star. Or, uh, oh, man, I hate ninjas.
1: Well, he's our only connection to American Ninja 1 and 2. He's got to make sure that we really remember that he was involved in those first two movies.
0: Which, the only thing they call back from, that's a mistake. That's what I'm saying. There's no reason to even have him here because the role he performs is... Very perfunctory like you could I would argue you could even do without him completely you could have just had the goofy dexter and it would have it would have been fine there was no reason to have Jackson in this at all he does nothing in this film except again spout off those lines
1: well and, and he's still the most competent fighter in the movie uh, even with even with uh, that seems to be the only time he actually shows any signs of life <laughs> is when he's doing his kung fu. Or when he's taking on taking off his pointless leather vest to yes. get engaged into some kung fu.
0: My question though about him with his kung fu is now it comes with like puns and lines and I'm you know look I'm a Buffy fan so I'm used to kung fu with puns like that's part of that shtick or whatever but that was several years away at this point. <laughs> And I'm going. I don't. I don't know why Jackson needed lines now to go like, eh, "I hate you." You know, "Ah, oh, you annoy me. Get out of my way." You know, he's just. He's always trying to like set up and say something you know cool before he hits him. And I'm reminded of you know the recent 22 Jump Street where uh, Channing Tatum has to throw a grenade and says something cool as he falls <laughs> back against the screen. I'm like, that would have been better than anything Jackson says well, in just... this film.
1: Well, Jackson learned his kung fu I don't know if you know this, but Jackson learned his kung fu from the master of Kung Fu, Dolomite. <laughs> and and part of and part of Dolomite style kung fu is that you've gotta be ready with some kind of quip or some smart comment. Or you know something leather.
0: I am so glad you mentioned that. I had not thought of dolomite, but that now explains Busta Rhymes and Halloween resurrection on a totally different level for me. So I'm, <laughs> I I wish I had thought of that when I reviewed that. That's a great observation, because yes, it is very much dolomite as an awful, and it, and it just goes off so flat the whole time,
1: <laughs> and uh, yeah. <laughs> The Kung is better than Dolomite, the jokes are not. Yes,
0: this is true. Dolomite will last, the jokes in this. I I couldn't even, you know, uh, remember most of them. They're just ridiculous. But we, we do introduce our comic relief or something, Dexter, this guy. Um, I mean, I you know, when I saw him the first time, I was like, I just want to know what act he's going to die in. And the fact that he made it to the third act, I was impressed. Because <laughs> I thought this dude was chump changed the first you know by the end of the first act he was going to be dead and he hung around for an hour and 10 minutes
1: yeah he's clearly the guy that they they set up to die and to start off the journey of revenge except like the dead father in the cold opening they forget that he's there and that they're supposed to kill him until they get closer to the end and it's like oh crap we forgot this guy we better take care of him
0: yeah and and that it's going to motivate these guys they act like they're lifelong friends they just met like he know he knows who these two guys are but he doesn't <coughs> but they don't know anything about him and what's his specialty even
1: Uh he's the the wormy the wormy sidekick <laughs> I don't know he he's like the uh the sleazy trying to get laid guy
0: all the time you're right about that
1: yeah, and he's using his two his two actually skilled martial artist friends as, like, chick bait.
0: <laughs> like, he's going to pick up the sloppy thirds off of them, pretty
1: yeah. much. That's what Clir- he's going to do. Clearly, because if you can't get uh, Steve James or or David Bradley, you, you're going to go for Wormy the Side King.
0: Yeah, because, yeah, sure, why not? Because, I mean, you think James and Bradley have, I don't know, respectively 100 and maybe 75 pounds on this guy?
1: I mean, oh, clearly, they, yeah.
0: They are, I mean, those guys are actually athletes. Like they look great. This dude looks like they they pulled him off of you know the the Baywatch Nights knockoff or something. <laughs> and you're <he laughs> putting. I mean, that's what he reminded me of. Is one of those guys. He just needed the yellow swimsuit.
1: He's he's a lost uh, nerd from Revenge of the Nerds, like a Revenge of the Nerds sequel.
0: There you go. That that comes in the next round too. By the way, Part Four. We we'll come back to Revenge of the Nerds, but oh, clearly. <laughs> and our people. But but yeah, we meet we meet them. We catch up with the Cobra now, who's you know grown his hair out a little bit more, and now has a compound. He's got you know, every one of these movies feature the same thing: the evil guy has his own like compound on the island that they're on and i'm like man the one thing evil in this series has got down is good real estate investment like they realize at first you got to have a place (laughs) to incubate your violence from otherwise you're just you're just wasting time
1: if you don't have a compound can you really call yourself like a megalomaniac true i
0: mean i don't
1: think so you need like a volcano lair or like an old abandoned factory or a ninja training ground, or prefer- preferably all three if you can pull it off.
0: Yeah, you just make all three happen by changing the, you know, the set drapes. So because <laughs> there are no
1: walls in this
0: film, there are drapes and fake glass standing up. <laughs> and,
1: and, and, and that weird uh, naked woman painting. Yes. Oh. That he's always pontificating in front of that I didn't understand the purpose of.
0: Yeah, they don't pay that off at. All, But we we meet him, and we also meet one of his chief henchmen. Of course, we see General Andreas is still around. He's one of the terrorists. I think you called him the grab bag of terrorists, which is about right, that are there to, uh, you know, see him test out his virus on the perfect specimen and all this. And we also check up with his, I guess his main henchwoman this time, Chan Lee, uh, in this film. Talk about your bad mohawks.
1: Oh, yeah, that's some great, like, that's some world-class Tia Carrera-style oh. hair. It's beautiful.
0: Oh, yeah, even but that's not Tia Carrera behind it.
1: Okay. Well, no, clearly <laughs> yeah. not.
0: And what we'll learn about her is that she's like uh, one of Zartan's people off of G.I. Joe. She can perfectly <laughs> impersonate different people. And like the secretary of the island's secretary or whatever, the ambassador, it looks like Sean Young. So she's doing a Sean Young impersonation, and she impersonates you know uh, Sean Davidson's uh, master at some point in the whole thing, even though she's a foot shorter than both of them.
1: Yeah, Izumo. Uh, well, yeah. I guess what you glue on the goatee, it just, you know, she's already kind of got the hair for it.
0: Yeah, she so. does. It's true. So, one wonders if if there actually wasn't a sumo, or they just did that makeup with her both times so, to save on production. So, but I I liked her though because unlike our last henchmen all around that are always playing it, you know, to either side, they're playing both sides, right? you realize that she actually has, I don't know, somewhat of a soul about this. Like once she learns what's going on, she turns to the good side.
1: Right. She's just a, she's just a dupe. Mm -hmm. I I mean, how could you not buy whatever Marjo Gortner is trying to sell you? Uh, Yeah.
0: Apparently a lot of people did in his life, according to your, your reading of his resume.
1: (laughs) So apparently so. I mean, she falls for it. All those, the grab bag of terrorists showed up. He, he organized this, pointless karate tournament, because apparently martial artists are less susceptible to poison than everybody else, I guess.
0: That's what I got. I was like, if you want to test out a super poison on people and find the perfect specimen from that, why, you mentioned the Ultimate Warrior, why don't you go after a pro wrestler? They've already got the chemical tolerance per se. Oh,
1: yeah, clearly. So, or, you know, you've got a, you've got a whole room full of, you've got those four naked guys on a on platforms or those four guys in the thongs on the platforms. Yeah. uh, You could test it on them. You've got dozens of ninjas, uh, apparently a limitless supply of ninjas. You could just say, well, I know this poison is good because it just killed 37 ninjas. Yeah. and, And like two, three shirtless naked guys.
0: Yeah. Now explain to me what the plan is here. The plan is to find the perfect specimen. So he finds out how strong the poison is. So, but he's still—he's not going to keep the specimen. It, I don't understand what he's trying to do once he finds the ultimate weapon, because the the terrorists just want the virus, right?
1: Right, and and General Andreas is pretty tired of the song and dance routine. He just wants his his poison, and mm-hmm. he wants his terrorism. Uh, I think he's basically saying, "Look, if it'll kill David Bradley, clearly it'll kill you know any." Any dozen of Wallace Shawns or whoever <laughs> you're killing. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know why they're killing Wallachan, but okay.
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't. Like I said, I didn't understand Evil's plan other than they were trying to sell something. But he was first going to test it on someone to see how strong it wasn't. I don't, I don't know. It was. It was a little convoluted because at first I thought, oh, it's just like you said, it's the American Ninja Two thing. They're trying to make super ninjas, but not really. I mean, he's not really trying to make the super ninja this time.
1: No, and and the whole karate per, uh, the whole karate tournament is absolutely pointless except as a plot device to get everybody on this island of <coughs> Triana. I think is what they call it.
0: Right? Where is? Um, I don't know where yeah. that's supposed to be. Like I know it's South Africa. But I don't know where this is supposed to take place.
1: I think uh, it's yet another like Caribbean island. Yeah, it's. I it, think go ahead. Appa- apparently, like all the islands in. Uh, the Caribbean are just infested <laughs> with evil villains, and you know nobody told me this when I was going to Jamaica. It, it is a teenager.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would have been useful information that you would know that there are ninja running about. Every, you know, that's that's not that's not the world that we're in here. So, we we see now that uh, you know it, there, the first act ends with the random, I don't know, kidnapping. Of, of someone, and Sean starts running down the streets and goes to fight the ninjas in town. Like that's that's where we end up with this. And I have to tell you, I'm I was watching this film, and I it dawned on me for the first time in this series. How incredibly bored I was at that moment, and I was only twelve minutes into it. <laughs> and I thought, man, we got a long way to go, <laughs> and this is this is not hooking me in at all. Because as cool as David Bradley may look, and he can do some martial arts and stuff, the fights are horrible. Like he just basically grabs people, chokes them out, and drops them. That's I yeah, mean, or, at least Dudikov kicked him to the moon.
1: Yeah, or he'd like my favorite was when he. Grabbed the ninja and broke his neck on the stairs. Yeah, and just kind of threw him down the st- stairs for good for emphasis, I guess. Yeah. I mean, you already broke his neck; he's clearly dead. I don't know why you'd throw him like down a flight of stairs. But the, but the one thing I can say for this movie is at least Sean gets beat up yes. quite a bit. I mean, Michael Dudikoff, they he just would just mow through these ninjas like you know cut in the grass. But at least uh, David Bradley's willing to get take a few punches in the, proce- in the process to make it look a little bit more even, even if he's clearly gonna throw guys over railings and kill them
0: He kick them off the side of buildings. You know, I, I don't know. It's it's this trap that gets set for Sean because Chan Lee tells the Cobra, uh, "I've I've seen the perfect specimen. I've already seen him fight because we do get one karate fight with him uh, and." I, I, what was amazing to that is having called high school football games before, like on the radio, doing the play by play. The worst thing was to go to another team's stadium where the in stadium PA announcer felt like it was his job to do play by play. So he's talking <laughs> over you the whole time. That's what I felt like. I've, I've seen karate tournaments. I've never seen them talk through the action the way that they do in this one.
1: Oh no, that's yeah. He was, he was serving both roles. I guess he was the, uh, announcer and the color commentator
0: Yeah it was it was very bad
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah clearly you couldn't get like a PA or somebody else who spoke English to be the other guy Yeah uh,
0: I don't know. Well, I I didn't know why we needed the constant commentary. Like it was ringing over the the loudspeakers in the stadium. Now now Davidson backs up. Oh, he's going for the sidekick. I'm like, what? Nobody does that. So it's uh, I don't know. It's really weird. I I just I remember thinking that and it being the only part of the first act where I was really entertained. So uh, <laughs> mainly, mainly because it just reminded me of those times of being in you know some random town and you know you get you get homerific on the microphone next to you. And, you know, you're trying to fight back that while you're doing a broadcast. But, yeah, he takes on the ninjas in town. And, of course, now it's now it's all about what's going on. You know, my
1: my, my favorite part of that whole scene um, of the kidnapping of uh, Chan Lee, uh, a.k.a. fake Azumo, was that <laughs> as they're dragging this flailing Asian man through the streets, uh, everyone in the background is just not paying attention at all. Like, here's this dude, like, kick-fighting ninjas and breaking necks and throwing people off of stuff, and, and everybody around is just kind of ignoring that they don't see a bunch of ninjas fighting a guy in a Canadian tuxedo.
0: Yeah, I mean, the worst uh, extras directing ever. Like, act completely oblivious to anything happening over here. Okay. No problem. Like, women walking by head to the beach, you know, no problem. Ninja flies by. It's like it's every day, you know. If this, had been, if this had been like, you know, Chinatown, all right, or something like that, you could almost play that off as part of the joke, like, ah, that's every day around here, or Hong Kong, you know, if it's Taiwan, something like that. But this is South Africa. There aren't ninja growing on trees. In the, you know, whatever Caribbean island, this is not. And there aren't there aren't ninjas there either. So this that would stop traffic, you would think. I noticed that as well.
1: And there's also the... Uh The wonderfully terrible um, underwater ninja fight.
0: Oh, yes. Can we talk about that, please? Because I, you know, when I see underwater fights, I automatically think of Thunderball. uh, James Bond, you know. And and, and a pretty good one, you know, for for what it was at the time. I don't think you can punch with the same force (laughs) underwater that you can in just normal atmosphere
1: but it appears so. Oh, no, clearly not. But (laughs) maybe he's the master of the Bruce Lee like two-edge punch, and he's (laughs) able to somehow, I don't know, manipulate physics with his ninja magic, so he's getting a full-fledged punch out of a very slow-motion, easily avoided wind-up and punch underwater. I mean, I had a pool when I was a kid, so, you know, and I also took taekwondo. Mm -hmm. So, go out to the pool, throw some kicks around, throw some punches around, and... You know, it is not easy to punch through water and with any kind of force, you're just crawling. There's a reason, you know, there's the famous shots of Muhammad Ali training underwater in a pool. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of resistance you're fighting against and it's, you know, and it doesn't exactly lend itself to a very exciting fist fight. Yeah. Even if you do cut away to stock footage of sharks,
0: <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, that was the amazing part. Or the sharks. I was like, well, I need the shark to come up, and I need him to karate chop a shark. Like I needed that. I needed a roundhouse to the shark's gills for me to buy that. That was a legitimate threat.
1: You know? and, and if he had, and if he had done that, this would have become the, the best movie since uh, <laughs> Zombie, when the shark fought the zombie.
0: Yes, it would have been. But, uh, but they didn't. They didn't have the budget for that. <laughs> for the fake shark from Jaws four to come over and do a cameo in this film,
1: unfortunately. So uh, just, just cut the stock footage of the full cheat movie and just, you know, <laughs> maybe put a wig on the zombie.
0: <laughs> just give give a shot. Something. If, if this had been made in the days of sci-fi's uh, excuse for CGI, that would be happening. You realize that, but uh, we'd have one of the nine Oh two one Oh cast, uh karate chop a shark. But, um,
1: Well, (laughs) Sharknado 2 is coming up. There's still time. This
0: is true. There's still, there's a sequence. If that happens in that film, by the way, we're filing suit. So uh, I'm, I'm certain (laughs) that that we can win that. But anyway, so I, yes, the the bad underwater fight, but what I love is how Jackson then tries to intervene with help with the local authorities. And his idea is to bribe them, cajole them, and insult them into helping him, the local police. That is generally not your way to make friends in a place that you've never been.
1: Well, the bribery part might work, but the rest of it, you know.
0: Yeah, but then he takes not. it back, Indian giver. I mean.
1: <laughs> well, if they're not going to help you, there's no reason to bribe them anymore. You've got to save that $20 in case you need, I don't know, to get out of them jaywalking charge or something
0: it needs needs a bit more oil for those (laughs) biceps that are always you know it's the sun's out the gun's out with him that's the rule apparently in the second film or the third film here but um i i don't know i i love how you know he sean and dexter come up with this plan of like we got to find out what's going on in this compound we got to find out what's going on in this compound so their answer for that is let's just commit grand theft auto
1: oh well clearly (laughs) three counts That's what your $20 is for. Exactly,
0: right? That just gets you a a pass. They steal two, what are they, like motorized hang gliders and a very beat-up Chevy
1: to go uh, and
0: and stage a raid. They are ultralights. Ultralights, okay.
1: Yeah, it was a a thing back in the 80s where you basically took a, a small boat engine and strapped it to a hang glider and... <laughs> called it a, an airplane.
0: That sounds like a really great idea. It's <laughs> for two guys that have never like we didn't know either one of them knew anything about flying. Like if, if Jackson or let's say if Joe Armstrong had been in this movie, I would have bought it simply because of the whole special forces thing. You're like, okay, fine, they're Rambo, they could do everything, right? But Jackson drives the truck. You get Dexter and Sean flying the ultralights into the compound.
1: Well, it was probably because you couldn't. Uh, there wasn't anybody large enough who knew how to fly the thing to co- make, the, co- make them a convincing Jackson. I mean, you could put a once you put the helmets on, you can make anybody be David Bradley and the wormy guy. Yeah. Uh, but you, you you can't you can't hide those guns.
0: No, not at all. You could even fake pad that out. You're right. So that's a good point. I I would I don't know why I gave them credit for doing their own stunts. I'm certain they did not. So. Been uh, flying this in, but this scene, what what got me about it was how long it lasts. It's like multiple angle aerial shots of these guys flying and Jackson driving on the road with no dialogue. <laughs>
1: so, yeah, I, I, I have. I guess they were like twenty minutes short when they finished the movie, and then they decided to just go back and go to the Roger Corman School of Padding and just show <laughs> us everything about how you fly an ultralight. Uh, and what to do when you break the fuel line and yeah. the thing starts stalling out or whatever happened to Dexter?
0: Yeah, no, that's the thing is you, we always have to have an accident with one of these things, right? What do, what kills me is that no one ever misses these three vehicles. No one. <laughs> like I don't even know where they got them from. Well, it doesn't even matter, right? It's just like whatever, you know? They they're gone and it it's on now. But the whole point is so that they can sneak up to the compound, like. This island's not that big. What? Why do they need you know an aerial attack to get around it? They don't learn anything from the surveillance.
1: I, and I don't know how you can sneak up on somebody when you're flying through the air on a brightly colored lawnmower set of fabric. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a brightly colored go-kart with yeah. wings.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think there's... I mean, that kills the stealthiness of the ninja-ism.
1: And it's not like they're, and it's not like they're quiet either. It's legitimately like an unmuffled, like you know, five horsepower chainsaw engine.
0: Yes, it's it's as if you had taken your local J.C.'s haunted house and and the wing where they do the Texas chainsaw massacre part, and taken it in the air over you. You would know that was coming from miles away. Like there's no there's no reason there, right? And when they get there. It's basically Sean. Like I'm gonna infiltrate. You guys hang out, and for 25 minutes, really until the next morning, Dexter and Jackson just hang out in the bushes.
1: And, it, and it's <clears> prob- <throat> it would pro- it would have probably been a more interesting movie than following David Bradley around inside the uh, compound that kind of looks like an old airport. Mm-hmm.
0: But. I, I don't know. It's I, It was very, very, uh, again, I, I didn't understand why Jackson was there. I got why Dexter was there. If you want to stick him off to the side, I don't care about him. That's fine. But as Sean gets in there, he gets in a fight with the Blue Ninjas, right? And, and he starts, you know, using his skills, and he's cracking skulls. But then the Black Ninjas show up, and there's too many of them, and they tase him slash tranquilize him with a gun i don't know what was happening it's like they stuck a paintball gun up to him and he he was told to shiver on the ground
1: i i think it was supposed to be a taser or like okay. a cattle prod sort of thing but it completely what what good is that virus then if you can just disable this great ninja warrior with electricity like a normal person
0: and, and like, you know, they lay him on a couch in the cobra's office and he's unable to move. It's like he's paralyzed temporarily. And all he can do is sort of move his neck to look at the cobra as he walks around him and begins to pontificate about his grand plan.
1: Which still makes no sense.
0: No, it doesn't. Like, he even explains it, right? He tells him, the tournament's all a sham, I was looking for the greatest specimen, and it just happens to be you, and oh, once, uh, you know, once you've know, once you run off your usefulness and <clears throat> are dead, uh, you know, it, it'll be gone. And I, again, I don't understand, like, well, if you don't want him to survive it, doesn't that just prove that the poison's actually potent? And again, couldn't we have proven that on a herd of cattle? or something else Like it seems to be you're, you're attracting a lot of attention to yourself to commit murder against someone you invited to an island to,
1: yeah. to sell it's not,
0: something to people who don't care
1: and this isn't a nobody this is a guy who was on the cover of Karate Monthly yeah, like two months in a row this <laughs> yeah. is someone that Dexter sees him at the airport and he immediately recognizes him and says hey you're Sean Davidson you're yeah. that guy who's on the cover of that magazine
0: yeah, that's the thing. Is like this is someone who will be missed. <laughs> You've chosen this as the person that you want to, you know, kill, so that the terrorists will know will pay you more for your deadly poison. That's the funny thing. Is the terrorists are like, just give us the poison.
1: Yeah, they're clearly sold on the idea of poison. They're all on board. <laughs> yeah the, the 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 Arabs and uh, the guy who looks like Gaddafi. Yes. uh <laughs> the the random African warlord looking guys. Yeah. They are all on board with this poison. They don't need the whole song and dance karate tournament. They don't need uh Chin Lee disguising herself. They don't need uh Sean Davidson at all. They're yeah. just like, okay, let's let's have some poison. Let's do this thing.
0: Yeah. Okay, we 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 got cash. Will you take cash? <laughs> and and Cobra, who by the way, they have never explained the Cobra name, and they only do it in the ending song, which we'll talk about when we get there. But they they haven't really given us much for that. But no, he insists upon talking about the power of this new disease, and on and on. Well, they throw Sean in a cell, and Chan Lee goes down there to find him, and she's like, "I know something not right about here." what's going on, and who all knows about the, the poison? or What's happening here? And he was like, my two friends, the cops in town, the secretary, the ambassador, and all this. And that's when she goes, and in one of the worst secrets of the film, infiltrates the cobra, does the interview with him, and then, of course, drives out of the compound, revealing who she really was as she kills a bunch of ninjas on her way yeah. out. Like, I, Did you have any, was, was there any shock to you at all that that was Chandley the whole time?
1: Uh, no, not really. Yeah. It's, it's pretty clearly set up that, uh, Chan, I, I think at a certain point in this movie, it's safe to assume that anyone can be Chen Lee,
0: uh,
1: <laughs> or Chan Lee, whichever it is. Yeah. I don't remember what it is. I think
0: it's Chan, Chan Lee.
1: Chan Lee. Okay. At, at a certain point, every woman in the movie is her.
0: <laughs> every
1: Asian in the movie is also her. Yes. <laughs> and she could be anybody who isn't Marjo Gortner or David Bradley or, uh. Um, Steve Jakes. <laughs> yeah, Steve James. She's she could be anybody else in this movie because clearly that's the magic of the ninja.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the magic of that ni- the ninjet as uh, as Curtis calls her in the film. Now we got ninjets. You know, (laughs) and I'm like, well, that's that's mildly inappropriate. So from you, yeah, Michelle Chan, I don't know her from anything else, but I want to say this. She gets my hand clap for an incredible Sean Young impersonation, because when she's playing that secretary (laughs) that I was like, this is Sean, somebody who's worked with Sean Young that is making fun of her, because that's the only way to explain that performance.
1: Oh, clearly. Yeah. Somebody was still holding a uh, still holding a grudge about Blade Runner or something. She
0: must have been. They must have been in the room when she walked in as Catwoman or something in the Batman number ah. days. Maybe that was it. But uh, at any rate, that that secret now spoiled because she pulls off the mask and stuff. So we find out. Okay, that's who she is. She leaves the compound in disguise. And she goes back to tell Jackson and Dexter, here's what's up. We got to go help Sean because if we don't get him the antidote in time, he's going to die, right? Like, they infect Sean with the virus. And so now the clock is ticking. Even though they don't really tell us how long it's supposed to take, they just it's going to be at, at some point.
1: Oh, we completely glossed over the car chase <laughs> yes. with uh, Dr. What's-His-Name, the associate of the Cobra. Yeah. Who I can only assume they call him Cobra because he's so into poisoning.
0: <laughs> Maybe that's it.
1: That's the well. He d- does have that whole five-minute explanation about bacteriophages and and, <laughs> and and all that stuff, chemistry and science and nerd stuff. Yeah. That- nobody clearly none of the people he was talking to were interested in it at all because they weren't paying attention and uh, neither was I let's be honest
0: yeah no I, I didn't even remember it I just knew he was talking about I, I actually wrote in my notes something something about the plan poisoning something still not sure why we need to poison someone before the terrorists by you
1: know right still, still not sure so. I, I also liked uh, during the car chase uh, not only did the car crash the car crashed in some boxes and the boxes then exploded because <laughs> yes. apparently they're Boxes full of dynamite. dynamite.
0: Yes, because it's but not that it just lays around.
1: <laughs> well, clearly. But the car drives out undamaged. <laughs> then <clears throat> excuse me, in the next shot, the car is on fire and then it ex- explodes from the back seat out. Not <laughs> even like for the front or from the gas tank. It's literally there's some explosives in the back seat that blow up. <laughs> and that's how you get rid of that Buick or whatever it was.
0: See, that's that's when you can tell you've got you've got people in charge that don't even know what they're doing in a cheesy action film. If you don't get anything else right, you got to at least get the effects right in these movies. You got to at least make the killing and blowing up look good, right? And it's complete It's like it's it's always a half second behind. Like the timers are all off. It's like you bought cheap fireworks, you lit the fuse, and you just wait for something to happen. And these people totally <laughs> didn't know what they were doing. And I'm going to say it, too. I don't think the director knew what he was doing either. I think he could shoot aerial scenes. Because there's a lot of crane shots in this film for no reason at all. And that's all he could really shoot. Everything else is horrible. Everything's blocked wrong. The, the sets look bad. And then there's close. Like the shots of the Cobra are as if we're sitting at his feet looking at him talk the whole time. <laughs> there's never a straight on shot of the guy.
1: Yeah, it's, it's it's all shot really weirdly. I can only assume because they found some random South African who they thought could be a director, and they put him in charge. Because he is from South Africa, and he was like a theatrical director. Yeah. And apparently they just said, okay, stand behind this camera and tell these guys what to do. And <laughs> the, the, I, I can only assume that he's blocking everything like it's a stage play, and that's why the camera positions are all wrong except for the, the crane shots, which clearly they threw in because they had rented that crane and they weren't about to give it back early.
0: Rented it, borrowed it, stole it, kind of like the airlight, Who knows, right? So, But, <laughs> but they're, they're all there. So Jackson and Dexter have to come up with the breakout plan. And the plan is essentially we're going to storm the compound. And I'm going to go left and you're going to go right. And that, that's pretty well it, right? Like I didn't miss anything there.
1: No, that's that's pretty much it. Um, for some reason, uh, Dexter is now like wearing a polo shirt that's the same color as his skin. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. this horrible like salmony pink, florid uh, polo shirt, and he's also apparently at some point learned how to do martial arts, or at least <laughs> pretend he can do martial arts. Because he's launching these half-hearted kicks at stuntmen and uh, fake punching guys and stuff, and uh, at, at no point in this movie has he shown any kind of competence in uh, not flying a ultralight, not <laughs> picking up women at the bar. Uh, the only thing he's good at is being obnoxious and like breaking <laughs> things on accident. And now somehow he knows enough to to fight ninjas. <laughs>
0: And fight them adeptly. That's the thing, man. Like he's like taking some of them out on his own. I was like, "You go, Dexter." I thought you were just going to be cannon fodder. And then I began to think, "Is this movie stupid enough that he's actually going to live to the end?" <laughs> you know. And and uh, it's answered later on that no, that's not the case. But for a while there, I thought, well, he might just live because Jackson seems to save his butt every time he gets into real trouble. Uh, until he goes. Until they right. just and- split up. Yeah.
1: I I also loved all the terrible uh, foleying in the ninja fights. (laughs) And then every time ninjas, like, jumped or fell over railings, because a lot of people fell over railings. Uh, Apparently, that's just what you do in South Africa. When you get kicked, (laughs) you fall over a railing. Because the country's full of rails. Uh, But anyway, every time the ninjas jumped or fell, they made this great, like, whooshing sound (laughs) that suggests that they're flying through the air at a great rate of speed when he really just... Did a back bend over a four foot high rail yeah. and like landed on his butt.
0: Yeah, it's 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 completely staged bad. It's it's awful. And then they split up and Jackson goes after the antidote. Right, that's that's his whole purpose. Is you got to go get the antidote because we gotta we gotta save Sean. Right. Right. And can we just go ahead and talk about the fact that he guns down the general and it's like to no fanfare at all.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, uh, um, uh, they couldn't make that death like a I don't know it, that, it, it, when you have you know buddy cop films or, or whatever. I, I think back to like Lethal Weapon, right? And Mel Gibson versus Gary Busey was the main event, but uh, Danny Glover versus uh, General McAllister, you know, in, in the car in the in the uh, alley was at least the setup for it, right? And I don't know, it was, it was something to watch. There's no weight at all to the fact that the guy that killed Sean's dad just it, he gets shot up and that's it.
1: I don't even think that there was an acknowledgement that this is the guy that killed my dad. Yeah, I think he just machine guns this guy to death uh, the first time that he's basically used a gun the whole movie, and then he throws the gun away and it's like <laughs> I know, that's... not even. There was no, there's no, there's no satisfaction to it because I don't think David Bradley knew that the guy he was supposedly shooting was the guy who killed this character's dad. I think they just said, all right, now you shoot this guy who looks like, uh, you know,
0: ex mafia member from the Godfather too. You know I mean? It's
1: right. right it clear, like, yeah. yeah.
0: So it's, it's bad. It's, it's ridiculous, but he finds the, the antidote. So he's going to run back now and save it. Meanwhile, Dexter and Sean, uh, Sean gets free and Dexter and him are running around and they're beating up ninjas and, and Ninja shoots Dexter with an arrow. So he's down, right? Sean picks two right. arrows up and throws them. Throws them by hand into two guys that he is no more than four feet from. And it impales them both. <laughs> and they go backward as if they've been shot with a .38. <laughs> um, oh, I guess yeah. I guess if you can punch people underwater and knock them out, you can do that too. Is that what we're supposed to believe?
1: Sure. Of uh, yeah. ninja magic,
0: <laughs> yeah, well, bad ninja magic. Like it's, uh, it's beyond. Ninja but I do magic.
1: like that they've. I, I do like that they've kept the thing that whoever the lead is in an American ninja movie can totally grab arrows out of the yes. air, yes. just catch arrows like all day long, yeah. except for the one that just happens to get through and kill the sidekick.
0: I know that's the thing. I'm like, well, nice catch, Holmes. You caught everything else except that one. So poor Dexter. <clears throat> but
1: we do win. Uh, maybe. He- Go ahead. He, he was probably just tired of having that guy around. <laughs>
0: Sorry, I'm just going to let one get through. Nobody will know. It's okay. Yeah, so
1: Dexter's... It was an accident, I swear. I didn't.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, do we know that guy? No, I don't know that guy. Okay. You know, I mean, that's sort of the conversation as they got out of the evil lair at the end. Chan Lee gets killed, though, and that <laughs> I didn't see coming. I was like, wow. I thought she had she had turned toward the light side of the force. I didn't see her getting taken out.
1: Yeah, that was that was an unexpected beat, if only because she was the closest thing we had to a romantic lead in the movie. Yeah, Boy, yeah, there's, uh, there's a and,
0: lack of romance in this film, and it's uh, staggering. Um, yeah, they, I mean, the only romance is what Dexter's trying to get game of, uh, you know, as they're picking up chicks in the first, or trying to pick them up in the first act. But, yeah, there's no romantic lead in, in this at all. <laughs>
1: Which you know, at least that's refreshing. I mean, yeah. it's at least different from the, you know,
0: standard action fare. You're right; it's it's not the same old thing. But I don't know. It would have been, it would have been something if like her and Sean had had some sort of connection beyond that, and maybe Izumo was her master too. I you know, I'm, I'm rewriting this film for it. and It doesn't it doesn't need it, but if it, it, that would have really ticked him off at the end, then that would have been something. Because what happens in the end is. The cobra begins to talk to him about the poison that's racing through his veins that's going to kill him. And then he does this meditation thing, Ron. I don't know what that is that he does where he's trying to focus his energy or something, but he essentially does the whole mind over matter thing to beat the poison.
1: It's like the uh, ninja magic hand gesture that we saw in the first two American Ninja movies whenever uh, Joe needed extra strength. Apparently, it also helps you eat poisoning.
0: Yeah, it's like the hulking up for ninjas,
1: you know. <laughs> or, yeah, that's exactly exactly what I have in my notes. I say he hulks up via ninja magic and a spotlight. Yes, it's uh, the random spotlight. What was that all about? <laughs> and, and and the dry ice. Don't forget the dry ice <laughs> fog.
0: Yeah, well, that's everywhere. So the fog machine's on overdrive at this point. But he's standing by the and, and, uh, naked men, which I, we still have. Uh, what are those?
1: <laughs> I I don't know if they're supposed to be, like, uh, decorations or real dudes. Well, uh, like, they
0: turn into red and when he flips a button. So I'm like, are they, like, experiments? Because they didn't even play it off like he was creating anything.
1: Right. They're, they're absolutely not explained at all. It's just, here's some... Shirtless extras who turn into ninjas when it's convenient to the plot. Yeah. <laughs> I can only assume that that's uh, maybe that's with the second purpose. Maybe that's like the red and black evil ninjas are the guys who survived the American Ninja Two, <laughs> and are like the super ninjas.
0: Yeah, there you go. There...
1: And that's why they've been like hanging out.
0: There are a few that, that made it and they decided to, to hang out with this guy. So for a little while. They
1: were in a they were in suspended animation until he threw the switch. Right. And freed them apparently from yeah. their drives <laughs> prison.
0: And and they lasted in the fight all of what? 30 seconds. Maybe?
1: Yeah, it's uh, if that.
0: And and then Sean pr- proceeds to kick the cobra Around the lab, and at one point, it, it you know, he gets knocked into, like, a lot of glass, and there's liquid flying about, but the back of his pants appeared that he had sold himself somewhere while someone is beating the crap out of him, literally. And I thought, well, I guess they just didn't have time to shoot that again, because that looked bad.
1: But he doesn't, like, does he kill him? Because
0: he just sort of kicks him and knocks him out, it
1: looks like. I I don't think he's dead. Okay, I think he just like gives him the the you know the Chuck Norris spin kick to the face, and that's it.
0: Yeah, without the cool Chuck Norris sound effect, unfortunately, there was no ah uh, or anything. It was it was just whoosh. And, and somebody breaking a cucumber off stage, it was it was bad. Uh, and what is even better is that Jackson walks in and says, "All right, here's your antidote." He's like, "I don't need it anymore." And at least he calls out, "You know what I went through to get this for you? I wasted my entire the, part of the third act to, to get this."
1: I, I can only assume that like Steve James threw that one in for fun because yeah. I doubt anybody who wrote this movie, and I used to write in quotation marks, was clever enough to think of something like that. In fact, he probably just ad-libbed all of his his lines, all of the little jokes he says while he's fighting. That that was probably just him making stuff up to keep himself entertained.
0: I can believe it. I, I don't think he was being directed at all. I don't think there was any
1: direction happening
0: in this, and it's pretty clear. Because he walks off and says, Can we go do something where we don't have to fight ninjas? And then we get the song, and I I've, I rarely will just sit down and call out theme songs <laughs> or credit songs, but we got to talk about this. The song is called "The Cobra Strikes," and it essentially explains the plot of the Cobra as if he were the main villain or the main character of the film, in all of its glorious yeah, he's, he's... '80s mid-tempo ballad fashion.
1: Oh yeah. It's he's clearly the, ma- the the more interesting character of the bunch. This is true. So it's only it's only fitting that he gets the, uh, you know, the soundtrack nod from uh, George S. Clinton, I believe, is the guy who composed that particular terrible song.
0: Yes, it is, and not any relation to the Parliament Funkadelic, from what I understand. <laughs> but uh, oh. yes. Oh, what a terrible tune. folks! Like, really, go YouTube. Just go listen to it. It's it may be the only thing to to bother to listen to it it's that bad it's
1: uh... and and fittingly this is my favorite part of the whole thing fittingly i uh, looked up george s clinton on the imdb and he's the guy who did the music for uh, mortal combat uh, he, he did some of the music for uh, a bunch of like softcore porn uh, a lot of tv movies uh
0: this I can yeah.
1: see <laughs> yeah so clearly this was like the perfect choice for uh, this particular flick
0: that is amazing that he actually worked in porn because the music has felt very pornorific, if I may say that or what you would think of as porn music when you're listening to this it's it's very I don't know kind of like bad music most yeah. of the time and then they got somebody to sing over it I guess him so um, it's it's all. So, well, I don't think this is going to be much of a surprise, but uh, what are your final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings for American Ninja 3 on?
1: Oh, clearly it's an extra-large popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not at all. Yeah. It's it, even, by, even with my kindness towards the American Ninja series, this one's still definitely a small popcorn, and not necessarily in the so-bad-it's-good kind of way. It's just so bad it's bad, and it's a waste of... Poor old Steve James and a waste of South Africa. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I uh, I agree that it is a complete waste. Um, this, this film is uh, atrocious and it is small popcorn in the worst possible way. Just just awful just everything about it is wrong. If you want to see how to do this completely the wrong way, then watch this film, but otherwise save yourself that 90 minutes of your life because you'll never get it back. I promise. And I watched this twice for this review. (laughs) I'll have, you know, and so (laughs) there are three hours that that I will never see again. And I wonder where, where it's all gone. And after this, I mean, I know it made a million five worldwide. They couldn't have spent more than $100,000, $150,000 on the thing. So clearly there was going to be another one. Golden Globus is raking in the dough on these things. So I I just wondered. I was like, man, I, I had no idea what was coming up in part four, but it can't possibly be any worse than what we've just seen. It can't be nearly as bad. And, uh,. I guess we'll see when we get to that next time around. So, folks, thanks for joining us in the latest episode of Filmstrip. You can find more episodes in the archive section of our website, continuousplaypodcast.com. Click the button that says Movies, and you'll go to all the Filmstrip shows. You'll also see the links there for our other podcast ventures, as well as how to hook up with us on social media, Facebook and Twitter. Let us know what you think. If you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. Until next time, from Ron, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. Thank you for joining us. I found you. All content used or discussed in this podcast is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17.
1: I must therefore ask you to accompany me to the police station to answer several serious questions.